from recruiting and consulting firm RiderFlex. I'm your host, Steve Urban, and here is your RiderFlex podcast episode of the day. Sound good? Any questions, sir? Not ready to go. I can tell you, your, your accent, you know, has been uh, watered down a little bit. I don't know what the word is, but it's not super strong Melbourne, right? Uh, I can tell you've lived in the States, you, you lived over in Europe, and you've, it's, 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 it's watered down a little bit. Is that, is that accurate? <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's funny because I think most people I meet in, in the U.S. still think I have a beautiful Australian accent. But definitely my friends back home, um, you know, give me a little bit of stick for, uh, for having an accent that's changed. But I think what you find is, you know, I, when I started, uh, you know, traveling and working in the States, I was in my early 20s and I, I had a pretty thick Australian accent. And you quickly learn that there are just certain words that just don't resonate and you're trying to get your message across. Uh, and, and part of it is changing out words, uh, you know, napkin for serviette, you know, in a restaurant, just simple things like that. Uh, and then part of it is, you know, just emphasizing the R's and just making sure your words are a little bit clearer so you don't have to repeat yourself. So you do that enough times for 20 years and, and you slowly adapt. I think, uh, I think the classic example is the famous Australian golfer, Greg Norman, who has no resemblance of Australian accent left in him, you know, if you listen to him today. By the way, I'm a huge fan of his shirts. I wear his polo shirts all the time. And the primary reason for that is because as you get older in your mid fifties, your, your gut sometimes kind of starts to maybe your little, little pot belly kind of starts easing out there. And he makes those shirts specifically <laughs> for guys like me that hide that very well. <laughs> That's funny, but I got to uh, tell you, Steve, so some, something I like to do is if I'm in an elevator in the U S or something like that, I, I like to just, you know, bring on my Australian, uh, not charm, I guess my Australian heritage. And I, I do drop in a g'day. Um, which always really indicates uh, my Australian uh, background. Love it. Love it. Love it. Tell us, tell us, Travis, about yourself, uh, you know, some personal history. Yeah. Let's go all the way back. Maybe some family, uh, your parents, siblings, where you grew up. Talk to us about that a little bit before we get into business too much. Yeah. So I grew up uh, in Melbourne, Australia and uh, really grew up around my dad was just love technology and it was really a, a technology visionary entrepreneur, uh, never called himself any of those words and long before anyone knew what that meant. Uh, but what it meant to me was I grew up with someone that just loved technology and he was always building computers and building radios and, and messing around with whatever he could get his hands on. And so from a young age, I was really thrown into that environment of uh, build this computer and, you know, help fix this printer. And, um, you know, and that was kind of some of the early days of, of working together was that um, and uh, my mom has really been the, the ambassador of the family. And, and, you know, I loved my sports when I was younger. I played a lot of tennis. So mom was my, was okay. my uh, on, you know, drove me around and, and coached me and supported me in my sporting sort of ventures. Um, and also have a couple of sisters, one that I'm in business with and one that was always uh, out of the business. So that was kind of the, you know, the early days of upbringing in, in Australia. So what was the business? Was it um, software? Yeah, talk to us about what, during those early days, what was your dad's business? What was he selling? Was he selling a service? Was he selling equipment? Was he selling software? What was he selling early on? So uh, this business, which originally was founded with the name StarNet Systems, um, which I rebranded a few years ago to something that, that resonated more with our global market and, and sort of vision, 
um, was primarily software. But back then, because hardware was so expensive and difficult to come by, we also um, had to build and, and sort of sell and package up our own hardware just to make it viable to sell the software. Um, so in the early days, um, where we really started off in, in, in our sort of space around residential communities is working with colleges doing the telephone management. So activating the phones in the rooms, much like you would for a hotel, turn the phone on, charge for the calls, turn the phone off. Um, you know, that was an old DOS-based system um, in the early 90s and then evolved to Windows. But we we're very good at doing that and, and quickly realized there was a gap there when we need to do more than that. We need to also book that room out and manage the arrival process and bill for rent. Um, and basically, we, we just kept evolving, listening to our customers and adapting and adapting and adapting. And, uh, you know, by the end of the 90s, the telephone management was basically an obsolete piece of technology with you know, phone cards, mobile phones, internet, you know, so good thing, you know, you got to keep pivoting with your business and adapting because otherwise that original business just simply wouldn't be here today. Uh, but we'd already evolved, really jumped on to emerging technology very early in terms of the internet, building out, you know, online tools for residents. Um, and then, you know, really, I think got our break when we, we went and grew internationally. And, uh, and that was really what my focus was for, for the best part of my career was, you know, going in particular to the US and, and helping build the, the company up over there. So early on, your dad was, was a tech gadget guy. And, and in the beginning, the, the revenue, you guys, he was making money by connecting the phone or turning the phones off and on in colleges. That was actually the first set of revenue or one of the first sets of revenue. Correct. Yep. So that was a, was a software sale. We, we also sold the hardware that, that, that managed it. Um, and that was, that was the early days. It was pretty lean. We're, you know, our story is a little bit different to most uh, tech companies that have funding or, uh, yeah. you know, or similar. We, we did it the old fashioned way, brick by brick and, you know, we did it with no debt or no funding. So you gotta, you got to build it slowly and you have to make sure that you're delivering great value so you can retain those customers and keep building on that success. Did you know that you wanted to work for your dad early on or when you were in college, were you like, I don't know, I, I noticed you majored in accounting and finance. Were you like, ah, I want to do my own thing. And was there a push and pull between you and your dad at, way back then? Uh, look, I think honestly, it was it was a necessity in the early days. You know, really, the, the whole family's, I guess, um, livelihood was at stake. You know, whether or not, um, as a family, we would have a roof over our head and, and and things like that. So, I really joined, um, and yeah, there wasn't a lot of compensation in those early five to ten years. It was really about just helping keep the lights on, um, and trying to support my dad, I guess, in his his endeavors and. Um, but, but, you know, I quickly fell in love with what I was doing and I love the, the environment that I was working in, um, and realized that, you know, I also had some great skills in, in that sort of, uh, domain. In fact, very, you know, the, the difference between my dad and, and my sister and I, who joined him in, in the business early on, um, we were very complementary skill sets. So he was much, much more a deep technical person, okay. but we were really good with the accounting, finance, business. And then, you know, I think for me, the sales, the marketing, um, and the international expansion, um, you know, so our skill sets actually complemented each other really, really well. So kind of fell into it when I finished my degree. Um, I, because we were really struggling in that time, I definitely contemplated, do I need to get a real job to pay the bills here and, uh, and think about it. But I was young enough that it didn't matter too much either. You know, we, we could live on, on very little and, and, uh, and just see where things went. So we, we just kept 
being very persistent. And the thing, a characteristic my dad had, which I loved and, and think about a lot is he's very tenacious. And so he just, no one said we'd make it, but no one said we'd fail. It's just, let's just keep going. Just keep uh, going. Really kind of just keep going, keep pushing. Um, you know, you get knockbacks, just keep going, just keep going. And so, yeah, and as I said, it was kind of an interesting, it was kind of an expectation just to keep going. Not necessarily that we fail or succeed. It's just, we, we can do this. Let's keep going. Um, so, you know, it's interesting. I'm really glad you're sharing this story. Some people probably would look at your situation and make some assumptions without digging into the details that your dad started this business and he was a millionaire and you just came along and then he handed it to you and transitioned, right? I mean, that happens to a lot of family members. What you're telling me is no, 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 no. That's not even close. I came out of college wondering if I should get another job because he was barely paying his bills. I didn't know what, I didn't know if this thing was going to make it. I mean, that is a little bit different than so many other family transitional stories. So I appreciate you you sharing that with me now you weren't married or anything at that time you're single guy coming out of college when you were helping your dad right single at the time correct and, and your sister how old was she the one that's in the business uh so yeah my business partner um she probably doesn't want me to state the exact number but she's she's a little bit older than me and at that time we're starting to have a family here in australia and that so basically you know we, the way we looked at it was i was probably the most uh, available to go and you know try to pursue the international businesses and the, the Australian business was was getting quite busy at that time so my dad and her really focused on the Australian business and kind of left me to go and explore what opportunities we could find overseas. What was her function? Accounting? Finance? Yeah yeah both we have very similar skill sets in that way so um, you know we, we both sort of oversee or oversaw the finances of the business in the early days uh, and still, you know, I still have our CFO report. Up was to there, directly was there, did you and her ever have conversations like, no, I said, was she like, Hey, I want to be CEO. <laughs> uh, I think you'd find that, um, you know, she's, she's much more comfortable out of the limelight. Um, not that I seek the limelight, but I, I love, I'm really passionate about what I do. I'm much more comfortable, I guess, in terms of speaking on a stage in front of our customers and things like that. So I think she's, She's quite happy to kind of support me, um, you know, with that and, and really enjoys, you know, the, the things that she gets to focus on. You guys, the family owns the business 100% now. Have you, have you guys ever taken on any outside cash or investors? Nothing, not, not a dollar. Um, so yeah, we're, um, which is a long, <laughs> it's a long way to, to build a business. You know, we've been around, around 30 years um, and I, I, I kind of joke we're a 30 year overnight success story Um and, you know, I'm envious of, of early stage companies that can accelerate their growth. Probably what we did in 30 years can be done in five or 10 years if you've got the right funding and expertise. So I'm not adverse to uh, startups or early stage companies taking on funding and investment. I think it's a, a great vehicle. Um, but on the flip side, I think our business journey has been very rewarding because, you know, we've always had all of our livelihoods at stake. Um, and because we haven't really ever borrowed we just had to make it work you know we had to build a profitable business we had to you know even if you think of last year you know there's a lot of businesses that just were not prepared for you know a, a tough economic situation because we've always built a, a very financially healthy business we've got reserves we've got a healthy you know balance sheet um, and we've built that over a long period of time so that we've got options on the table if we need to invest or we need to expand or, or do things differently. And we don't have to panic and quickly raise money 
uh, to get us through a, a six, 12 month period, which is what happened to a lot of tech companies. Right. How big is the company employees, uh, employee size right now? How, how big are you? Uh, so we're around 170 people globally right now um, and, and growing. Three offices, three different continents, 170 employees, 30 years in business and transitioned from dad to, to, to children successfully. That's pretty major accomplishment, my friend. Pretty major. I mean, not a lot of people can do that. <laughs> Thanks. Look, I think it's one of those things where when you, you sit back and reflect, which you don't get much of a chance to do, you, you do, um, you know, count your lucky stars. You, you've had a good journey and, and things have kind of worked out pretty well. But, you know, day to day, you're not thinking about that day to day, thinking about we've got to make the product better and we've got to improve customer service and we've got to, you know, we've got to get that new feature out the door and we've got to get that new partnership done. And, you know, so I think we're we're highly, highly motivated. And I think that's the thing, though, is even after 30 years uh, in business, we still have we've got kind of the maturity of a stable long term company, which a lot of people like. Um, but we've got this youth and energy and enthusiasm about wanting to improve and wanting to, you know, evolve. Um, and so, you know, I think those things actually balance each other out really well. Give us the elevator pitch for star res right now, as it stands today, give us the three to five minute, you know, pitch, go for it. Sure. So, um, you know, we are the uh, global leaders in residential uh, accommodation software. So what that really means is we're a booking platform primarily for, uh, universities, colleges, PBSAs, which are purpose-built student accommodation, which are generally uh, private property developers that are also building and supplying uh, student accommodation, student housing. But more broadly, we serve other markets and we're not as well known for. So things like uh, build to rent, um, co-living, staff housing. So we've got great clients like Vale Ski Resorts. We, we manage all of the staff housing across 15 mountains in North America. Um, we've got theme parks where we do the same for all the staff there. So really you can think of it as a solution. It's quite adaptable. Um, and, you know, there's a couple of different components to our solution. So one is that resident experience where people can go online, they can book their room, they can find a roommate, they can sign a contract, they can pay their bill and they can move in. And of course, in the current world, they can move in with contactless, you know, barcode QR codes. They can book the time they're going to arrive for social distancing. Um, and we have everything from package tracking to resident welfare and a whole suite of, of tools that go along with it. Um, of course, that's backed by things like integration, reporting, analytics, dashboards, so that, you know, it's an enterprise level solution that allows our customers to really manage and oversee all aspects of their community. And something you hear that I'm really passionate about is what I call a thriving residential community. And if you think about the best residential communities, even, you know, the ones that we live in, you know, as, uh, as normal people, you know, there are communities where people are super engaged, where people are very respectful, where people are participating, where people are helping out, where people are helping their neighbours. And, you know, that really resonates with us and our community and our software is a great enabler of, of managing all of those different aspects. Um, so, yeah, Starrez has been very successful uh, in more than 25 countries now. We've got over 800 customers. We manage uh, around 2.1, 2.2 million beds around the world wow. um, through our platform. Uh, which means that you end up with, you know, millions and millions of users every year using this solution. Um, and it's all something that we've never outsourced, you know, development, design, any aspect of what we do. So we design the software ourselves. 
um, you know, product vision and, and product design is something I'm really passionate about. So I work very closely with the, the product team. Um, we build it all uh, with Starres people and, you know, we deliver it with Starres services people and then we support it with Starres, you know, customer support. So, um, you know, between Melbourne, UK and Denver, which is sort of the primary locations, um, you know, that's where we've got our teams located to serve our global customer base. So is it a SaaS business? I mean, or is it you buy the software? What What's the uh, uh, business model? What's the revenue business model for you? Is it a monthly service or how does that work? Yeah, so if you look historically, any company that's been around, you know, more than say five, you know, years will of course have a history of perpetual enterprise um, customers and licenses and on-premise software. Um, so we still have that. Um, today, as we sit, we've got more than 60% of our customers in the cloud and on a subscription uh, model. Mm. So we introduced that model about five years ago. And, mm. and, you know, it's a tough thing for companies to do because you're disrupting some of the things that make your business great. So when you, when you move to a, a large upfront sort of perpetual enterprise model and spread that out over a three to five year period for that subscription, you're intentionally reducing your top line revenue. You're reducing your profit during those years. You're impacting your cash flow. Um, and that's why you see a lot of even public companies struggle to make that transition because it doesn't please mm -hmm. investors in that three to five year period while they're doing it. For us, because we're private, we can make decisions that we feel really help us in the long term, regardless of the short term you know, impact. So we intentionally disrupted our traditional business model to move to subscription about five years ago and um, have now built a much more resilient business off the back of that, which much more predictable in terms of the way you know, financials are managed for us. It's an annual subscription. Um, we don't, you know, because of the size and scale um, and it's, it's B to um, C instead of B to B, uh, sorry, it's B to B instead of B to C, it's, um, it's on an annual subscription basis, not a monthly subscription basis. You have pivoted so many times over 30 years. I mean, several different ways. I mean, wow. I mean, it, a lot of people can't do that. I mean, really congratulations on getting through a lot of those uh, transitional periods what, what's the hardest thing for your team uh, when you make a major pivot uh, that you've found over the years? Look, I think the hardest thing is, um, you know, I probably have more ideas than we have time and capabilities and resources to do. Um, and I think collectively as a team, we have more ideas than we, than we can really ever get to. So I think the toughest thing is to prioritize. And, mm. and I'll be the first to admit, I'm not the greatest at it. You know, I really, um, you know, we sit down in a leadership meeting and we've got the 10 top uh, most pivotal things we need to do. Pick one, Travis, just pick one. I'm like, we've got to do at least five of these. We've got to find a way to do it, you know, and, and let's talk about how we can resource it and, and do it differently. And, you know, I think, um, so I, but I think the fact that we are willing to continue to invest, we're willing to disrupt mm -hmm. what is normal. Uh, I think that's fundamental. We would certainly not be in business and be successful after 30 years you know, if you look at even that first period where we were, you know, focused on the telephone management, if we'd hung on to that, uh, we wouldn't be in business. Um, right. You know, as we moved into the 2000s, had we not expanded internationally, the business wouldn't have been viable. Um, you know, if we'd not adopted cloud, we, we really, in, uh, you know, again, moved to cloud long before cloud was really becoming uh, a standard. And, and when people said, oh, well, universities will never want their data in the cloud. That's, that's crazy. That's just insecure. And, you know, we were really pushing the envelope on that, you know, um, probably more than eight years ago, maybe more than nine years ago, moving our first couple of clients into the cloud. 
um, and everyone was expecting all this resistance. And we, we're just willing, I guess, to embrace whatever comes along with that and, and adapt as we go and, and find a way to make it work. So, you know, it's like, well, let's just figure out how to overcome that barrier. People worry about security in the cloud. Let's use one of the top two providers in the cloud. Let's not, you know, go the cheap route. So we, we, we doubled down on Microsoft Azure. It was Azure AWS for us. We were not going to take a risk. And a lot of our competitors, you know, look at cheaper alternatives, which is great because they have a cheaper price, but those solutions are just not as secure. Let's also go and get our own compliance. So we went and got our own SOC 2 compliance, our own PCI compliance, things that mm. most companies mm. really mm. don't want to have to deal with because it, mm. it brings a whole nother layer of accountability, you know, to your security management. But we said, let's do that because that's going to, one, make the business better and two, make sure that when people put their data in the Starry's cloud, they can think of it like a vault and it's going to be safe. And that's going to make people feel a lot more comfortable out moving to the cloud. So, yeah, it's you're right, Steve. There's a lot of, if you look back historically, it's probably every five years we've made some tough calls, mm-hmm. um, which at the time seemed like maybe we're, we're going a little bit early with some of those things, but in, in the long run proved to be you know the right call. Well, you've done them, and correct me if I'm wrong, didn't have to take on cash, didn't have to take on an outside investor, didn't have to go in debt, kept the, the company cash flow positive. Uh, I mean, and kept increasing revenue. I mean, that's a pretty, I mean, wow, those are all major accomplishments. Uh, really, my hat's off to you there. Um, let me ask you, are you growing, are you, are you running it right now as a continued lifestyle business for the employees and your family or have you positioned yourself or are you going to position yourself for an acquisition or to go public what do you have a plan like that or you're just having fun running it (laughs) uh look yeah it's it's i mean of course you know with our profile now i think there's a lot of interest in in a company like star is you know i think Mm -hmm. we would obviously uh, be on the radar of of you know uh, people who would love to you know acquire star is one day uh, the reality is we still love what we do. We still, you know, uh, feel like we're young enough and energetic and, you know, we're enjoying the journey. And I think uh, by being private, you know, we still, you know, can really help map out our own course. And it gives our team a lot of empowerment too, because if, uh, if someone's got an idea or, or something they want to do quickly, we don't have much red tape here. We can act very quickly on, on great ideas and, and change our course. Um, so, you know, look, maybe one day that will still be the right thing to do to either bring on uh, someone that can help, you know, accelerate our growth to another level or, or enable us to be complementary to another, you know, uh, company or product. Uh, but at the moment, that's that's not in, in my plans. You know, I, I very much have some some plans with Staris to grow the company uh, based off of our own investments and based off of our own ideas. You know, one of the things we're really focused on right now is finishing this move to becoming a 100% cloud and SaaS business. Um, okay. So we've got a lot of activities to undertake to do that. And that's that's a big aspiration for us over the next three years. Um, and that unlocks a lot of potential, you know, for the, for the business to get all of our customers migrated over to our cloud platform. And the other one is really moving Starris to being an ecosystem and a platform. We've got this amazing customer base around the world. There's a lot of great, um, you know, technology solutions out there. And so instead of trying to build all of these solutions ourselves, which just doesn't scale, um, let's just find great partners. They've got amazing solutions and plug them into Star Is and distribute that around the world. So if you look at things like DocuSign is a great example of a, of a partner that we're working with. Mm. Um, they already handle secure uh, contracts better than you know, just about anyone in the world. We don't need to go and build that technology. We just do a partnership with them. We do integration. 
And then all of our customers around the world can easily adopt that into their solution, which makes, you know, the star is offering better, makes DocuSign better. Um, and so really we're focused on much like a Salesforce has built out their app exchange or, or similar, um, you know, we, we have a, a strategy to really build out our partnership ecosystem. Um, and it's a pretty exciting kind of time for us right now as we bring on new partners and announcing them and launching them. Where have you gotten, how have you been mentored as a CEO besides your, your dad? I noticed you were in YPO, by the way. Uh, and uh, I can just tell by the way you, you speak that you've been in some groups like that and you've been around the CEOs. I can tell um, you, aren't, you aren't just some kid that dad just handed the business to. Like you've invested time probably in relationships and mentoring. I'm just curious about that. Um, yeah, what, what else besides YPO and your dad have you done to keep yourself growing and learning as a CEO? Yeah, I mean, uh, no, YPO, uh, if people are not familiar with it, Young Presidents Organization, um, it's a global network around 30,000 CEOs around the world. Uh, I'm actually a, a great, um, you know, I'm a huge fan of YPO. I'm a very active member of our chapter. I'm involved in our Exco, which is our, the executive committee in our chapter. Um, and I've really worked hard to utilize the, the benefits of that, attending a lot of global conferences, um, reaching out to CEOs all around the world, um, you know, for example, one of the ways that I've been able to accelerate, I guess, our move to SaaS is there was about 15 YPOers around the world uh, that put out a message and said, hey, we'd love to form basically a SaaS board and we'll meet every quarter and we'll talk uh, about SaaS metrics and challenges and, and growth. And, you know, I've so that's that's a whole nother subgroup of YPO. Uh, just yesterday, we had a question about something we were doing uh, with how we were, you know, managing something, and I can just put out a quick Slack message, and it hits 15 YPOs in, you know, a nanosecond, and and the responses start coming in. So mm -hmm. it's a wonderful network in terms of uh, of that. But in terms of my own continuous um, learning, uh, I am very passionate about. Well, one, I, I love my fitness and training, and I combine it with my learning. So I love listening to audio books and podcasts. Um, uh, you know, which is why I love being involved in your podcast, you know, today, because I'm a huge fan of the content and the learning that you can get from it. So for example, mm -hmm. one of the ways that I learn a lot about SAS is there's a great uh, podcast called Sastra um, and Jason Lemkin and, uh, and that crew put out amazing content. And so I'm a regular listener of that. And you just pick up little tips and tricks, you know, from the chief marketing officer at Salesforce or Zendesk or similar and, you know, and, and then you kind of share that back with the team and, and you quickly evolve and learn from that. But I love audio books as well. Very good. You know, one of the things you've had to learn over the years, becoming a CEO at a, at a pretty early age, right? Running the company is, is just hiring and dealing with employees, which is a major part of your, your life right now. Uh, let's talk about that. Um, what kind of personality and style uh, fit into the star res culture the best talk to me about the the ideal type of employee for you guys yeah it's uh, look i think the great thing for us is the ideal person um is unique almost every time uh, because you know we're we're a great collection of different personalities and different skill sets and so you know we instead of having sort of a very specific type um, what I'm proud of is kind of the fabric of a, a whole 
diverse mm. range of, of people that kind of make up Star Is. I think we're lucky because of our global footprint, we inherently have diversity through having a team in Australia, having a team in the UK, having a team in the US and Canada. Um, but I think something I've learned in my role is, and I, I probably didn't think about it like this five years ago, is I need to be a very important brand ambassador for Star Is and help drive recruitment activities. So I wasn't uh, as involved in our recruitment activities going back a couple of years ago. I, you kind of fall into this comfort zone. We're like, oh no, we have, a, we have a team that does that now. I don't, this is great. The business has grown. I don't have to get involved in that too much anymore. But that's a huge mistake and that's a huge learning. You, you need to, I don't need to be involved in every single interview or you know, proving things and things like that. But I definitely need to be involved in helping share our story and helping people understand the types of you know, people that can be successful at Star Is and also sharing the successes of what our team's doing. You know, that's one of the things that I really spent a lot of time doing. So, um, you know, in terms of probably the most successful people at Star Is, often they're through referrals. You know, nothing right. better than someone who's already at Star Is, has a friend they've worked with before or a colleague or, or whatnot. Um, so we really encourage our team to, to think about referring their, their friends or, or family, whoever it might be that they know through their network to connect with Star Is and look at opportunities. Um, we often find a number of um, you know, people that join Star Is have previously used Star Is before. So they tend to love the product and they've been a part of our Star Is community wow. and they really love that environment. And so I'm really proud. We had one person just start yesterday um, had actually been out of work essentially for uh, a year um, had tremendous skills with Star Is, a tremendous domain exp experience, um, and you know we, we kept in touch. And it was kind of like, what are you, what are you doing? He, ha he hadn't found the right thing right now, and you know I just kind of nudged the team along, like Let let's have another conversation here because we've got someone who loves Star Is, who's got these great skills. Can we find a role? Can we find a way to make this work? And I'm really proud the team found that opportunity and that that person joined and is super excited. And I know we'll go on and be you know, really, really successful for Star Is. Um, but I think, Steve, a couple of things that I look for, um, I guess if I look over 25 plus years of, of bringing people in, into Star Is, there's a couple of things that I look for, a couple of themes. So one is I try to find people that have a passion. Don't mind what the passion is. But one of the questions I'll often ask is, what are you passionate about? Mm. Because mm. I've seen a really common thread of like people that have a passion for photography happen to be great technical people. Uh, people have a passion for music and musical instruments often happen to be, you know, great software developers because learning a music, learning a software code, it's learning another language essentially, mm -hmm. and it translates over. Um, but I don't mind if people have a passion for gaming or gardening or car racing or whatever it is. You tend yeah. to find though that if they've got something that really, um, you know, some kind of passion that I can unearth in, in that initial conversation, then I know that there's someone who, you know, really commits to, you know, learning something and learning a craft. And, and you know, I think for us, that, that's a common thread in, in terms of uh, successful people at Star Is. You've interviewed uh, hundreds of people, hundreds and maybe thousands at this point. And do you have a couple of favorite uh, interview questions that you'd like to throw out there, a couple of favorites? And, and if you do, why? Yeah, talk to me about them. Yeah, so it's funny, I think, um, uh, one of the ones which, funnily enough, you essentially just asked me just before is how, how do you um, go about continuous learning? I don't ask it so much in that, but if someone, for example, is uh, wanting to join our product management team, a really you know, simple thing I love to ask is, okay, so you love product management, that's great. 
what's what's an audio uh, book or a blog or a podcast you can recommend to me um, that you love that you're following to learn more about the craft of product management? Because gotcha. if you say you love product management, but if you can't name one blogger, one podcast, <laughs> or one book, then it probably means you don't really love product management. You just you were told to say that, you know, because it sounds good. <laughs> so, you know, it's a little bit of a trick question, but if, if you know, people are authentic and sincere, then the yep. answer will come really quickly. And they'll say, oh, well, I love this, you know, podcast here. This is my favorite one. That's my go-to, you know. So I think for me, that's actually one of the, the easy questions that helps me identify uh, if, if someone's, you know, really genuine about wanting to be in that role. Gotcha. Okay, very good. So let me ask you a few a wrap-up, uh, headed towards wrap-up here. I guess the first one is you've, you've learned a lot about being CEO now over the years. If you had to give a couple of pieces of advice to a young CEO, you know, they're just getting started in their position based on what you've learned, what would you tell them today? Um, look, one of the ones uh, and the advice that I give, I, I do end up talking to a lot of startups, um, not in an official capacity, but, you know, I, I do, I do, um, you know, talk to a lot of people on, on my sort of uh, in my ventures. And one of the things that I caution, you know, CEOs of early stage or startup companies is don't spend so much time trying to raise money. Try to spend your time and effort on building a better product and making money because you can fund it yourself if you get your product market fit right early and you get those early 10 to 20 uh, customers that absolutely love your solution. We, you know, th this is a true story, Steve. We hired our first full-time marketing resource a year ago. A year ago. I mean, we've been wow. around for 30 years. Wow. Now, really? <laughs> wow. Now, there's a few of us that have worn the hat and, and done a bit of marketing and whatnot, but we've never hired a dedicated, professional, experienced marketing person to be full-time on the team with no other responsibilities. Now, if you look at the profile of most early-stage tech companies, they hire 10 to 15 people in marketing uh, before they have 10 to 15 people in development because they're trying to tell the story because they're trying to raise money. Um, and I feel like if you put... You know, I didn't have that distraction of trying to raise money. I was so laser focused on, I've got to get this customer happy. I've got to get this product working and I've got to get paid and I've got to have enough money to keep the lights on next month. Um, and whilst it was a little bit more stressful at the time way to run the business, that, what, that got us to where we wanted to go a lot faster. We ended up with a better product faster, with happier customers and so on. So, yeah, probably one of the things that I would um, recommend is people really think about, do I really need to raise money? Or often you see people have raised money and they're already thinking about the next raise, you know, uh, because they're already, they've already spent that money in, in, their, in their mind, in their budget. And they're like, well, that million dollars is gone. I've got three months. I better get on to the next one. And That's right. you just don't give the, the product and the business enough time really to, to become successful. And of course, what ends up happening to a lot of them, they run out of money, uh, you know? And I, I think the other thing for me is because we never raised money, we ran it incredibly lean. And we were very, very careful about where we spent our yep. dollars. And I think, yep. you know, probably if you gave me a million dollars in 2001, I might've spent all that in the first year of marketing as well. <laughs> but I had, you know, $25,000 probably to spend on marketing that year. Um, and so I picked three conferences to go to and I did them really, really well. I, I planned them really carefully. I stayed at the cheapest hotels I could. 
Um, you know, and I, I just, you know, I did it that way. And it meant that I had to make those conferences work. I had to find some customers from them, um, you know, and, and that's what we did. And, and we got a couple of customers from them and that kept the ball rolling. So many great lessons in that, what you just said, uh, you know, you're absolutely right. You, if you take on cash early, you're, you're thinking about your next raise. And then all of a sudden, by the way, you're dealing with and managing all the people that gave you money. And that takes up your time and you're focused yep. on that rather than the product and the employees. You're so right. And, and you just run it leaner. You run it leaner when it's your own cash and you're having to run it off of your organic cash and you make better spending decisions. You're absolutely right. So funny. I can relate this to a, just a recent story. We had a cash flow meeting with our accountant here at recruiting firm Riderflex. And she goes, you know, you and Scott can probably start finally paying yourselves a little bit more now because we've always just paid ourselves very cheap, right? Because we yeah. were like just doing just like you. We we're just building the business organically. So we weren't paying ourselves hardly anything. And she said, you know, you can start paying yourself more now. And I thought to myself, you know, we've run it so lean for so long. I guess we're just used to it. Like I didn't even think about <laughs> that. <laughs> it's just so, so true. You're so right. There's so many lessons in that. By the way, I wonder how many software companies on the planet have been around for 30 years, transitioned it to from father to children, and never had to raise cash. I bet there's not very many. That is a small group of people. That's a small <laughs> list right there. Really small list. Uh, uh, very good. I really appreciate you summarizing some of that. Just a couple more, a couple more questions, really fast. I know we're getting close to, to being out of time. Sure. You're married. You're married with kids now. You got you got family. I do. Yeah, uh, I've got a, a great wife of many many years, and um, and uh, also works actually in the business as well, which people wow. think is a little crazy working together. But we it's always worked for us from um, from some early days. We didn't meet through work, but um, early on. Uh, we needed, uh, we actually, I asked my wife to come in and, and temp for us for a month. Believe it or not, her background's uh, accounting and finance too. And our finance manager had just left. And I said, you got to come in and just fill in for a month while we hire someone. And she was so good at what we did. We couldn't let her out of that role. So she continued on that with that, with that role. Um, and yeah, we've got a couple of young boys and, uh, and those who know me well know I'm a super hands-on dad. I, I love being an active dad and, and doing a lot of fun stuff with the boys. Being a CEO and running a company is, is uh, that's a difficult balance sometimes when you're trying to stay in shape yourself and be active, spend time with your wife and spend time with your kids. Um, any quick tips for time management as it relates to a CEO of the family? Look, I think for me, what I do is, um, you know, I love to get up early and that buys me time. Now, that's not for everyone. I realize maybe I, I can operate on a little less sleep than, than some people, but getting up early means that I can get some work done. I get my, my fitness and everything done before my family's normally even awake. Um, and it helps with my international businesses as well to be able to be on you know those time zones. But then I can really crank through a lot of my work and meetings. And by late in the day, that's when I want to you know be there for the boys, for their sport and their after-school activities um, so that's where I block out, you know, time to make sure I'm there to, to be the dad and, and, you know, be involved in some of those activities. Um, and, you know, just try to find that healthy balance, you know, um, you know, when I'm doing that. Now, and does your wife, uh, quote, report to you on the org chart? <laughs> no, no, luckily not. And I think at home I report to her. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh working with family can also be delicate i've seen that i've seen that blow up uh yeah any uh quick quick last minute tip there on working with family in general uh look i think you know it, it can be challenging but i think if you if you really kind of define you know your separate roles and responsibilities and your goals um then i think you can you can find a way to to balance it out was there ever a time early on where you and your dad got into it just you know yelling at each other uh, yeah. <laughs> absolutely there was you know and it's funny to look back on those days and I realized at the time I, I always wondered why I thought I was doing really well in the business and and uh and I felt like he was a very harsh critic and I could never figure out you know why but um what I realized as I hit probably 25 plus and I really started to hit my strides with the international business was he just knew I had more potential and he wanted me to reach that potential Mm -hmm. um and in a way he was preparing me for um you know what was going to be a pretty challenging ride trying to you know grow the business internationally and a lot of time on my own you know uh, living in hotels and trying to you know get traction and you know he he really kind of i guess got me weathered you know for those for those tough days um but it was certainly it was not always harmonious in those early days and, and a lot of that came from you know some of the financial stress that the business had um, you know, just put everyone under enormous pressure. Uh, but once we got a little bit of traction and once, you know, we, we got some momentum, um, you know, then our relationship. And I think for me, going and focusing on a different part of the world, that was one of the great ways to divide up the responsibilities. Is like, I'll, I'll take care of international. Um, you guys take care of Australia. And that kind of helped separate that out. Is your dad still alive today? Look, sadly, we lost my dad seven years ago to, to cancer. Um, so... He, um, but very much his spirit and his values, you know, live on today. We've got an award um, named in memory of him, along with a couple of colleagues that we lost around the same time, you know, um, you know, to, to various things. Um, and so every year we have um, our team members vote on who they'd nominate to be the Star of Spirit and Values Award winner. And it's cool. really to help remember, um, you know, Alan, uh, Dane and Sue uh, that we lost back then. And it's a really great way that we keep their spirit alive. Um, we even have at, at our global conference, we have something we call the Alan Knight connection because my dad was a great networker and loved being with people. So we, the networking activity that we run at our user conference is also named in memory of him. So we do a few things like that to keep his memory alive. Very nice. Very cool. Last question, my friend. Um, if you had to put your core purpose into a sentence now today at this age let's separate let's separate your kids and your wife for a minute by the way let's set that aside that's a whole that's a primary core purpose besides your immediate family how would you describe your your core purpose right now are you talking in terms of star res or me personally i think you personally but i want you to try to separate it besides taking care of your wife and kids which is an obvious right what is travis's <laughs> reason for being on the planet look i think that's something that uh if i had the answer to that I'd, I'd share that widely i think it's something that evolves and it's something that you you challenge yourself on on a regular basis i think right now where i see it is you know the the business i i feel a huge responsibility with star is that we've got uh, a lot of team members around the world and a lot of customers around the world um that are on this journey with us. And I feel really um, committed to help continuing on that path. So, you know, in terms of that, I think back to what was our purpose in the early days, 
solving problems with technology. And I think last year with COVID, uh, you know, just to give an example, we knew our customers were really hurting because of what was going on. And once we identified some um, solutions we could deliver to make their, their pain a little easier, we got the product team on that. We delivered some new features within about 10 days. And for me, that was very fulfilling mm. uh, to see that customer feedback. We were able to identify that problem, get some tech in there to fix it and make, even though life wasn't still fun for most people back then, make it a little bit better. Um, so I guess my, my purpose is very much still entwined with, with my life at Star Is. Uh, but I think my purpose beyond that is, you know, I do, because I lost my dad and for me, I felt like I lost him at an early age and I lost him, I was only 35 and he's missed that opportunity to be around my kids. I feel like a huge part of my purpose is to um, really make sure that I, I have quality time with my kids because you just don't know what time you got uh, here. And, and so I really want to make sure that um, I've probably gotten, since I lost my dad, a lot better balance into my life. So fitness wasn't probably a top priority for me seven, eight years ago. And I really made that a priority, um, you know, to be a better role model for my kids and, and to make sure that I'm going to be healthy and around for as long as possible. Um, so I think a big part of my purpose is making sure that I'm that kind of back to your question earlier is that balance. It took me a long time to refine it and get it to where it is today. Um, but I, I continue to work on that. Um, but I think, Steve, beyond that, I think a lot about there's a few charities that we work with. Um, oh. Children's Fortress in Africa is one that um, ah. actually a former Star is team member uh, founded. Okay. And we're a big, we're a big supporter of that. Um, Pre-COVID, cool. we went over there and um, I actually – we donated the funds to build a basketball court for um, for basically underprivileged kind of street kids that they are trying to help re rehabilitate. Ah. Uh, and I went over there and saw that firsthand. And when you see those kinds of things and you see the impact of, you know, in our world, probably a relatively small financial contribution, um, you know, and I, I brought with me a bag of basketballs, you know, to, to you know, on the plane, I brought 10, 10 balls. And the honest truth is when I brought those balls out, even if there wasn't a court, they would have been happy just to have 10 basketballs right, because they just don't right. have those kinds. So I think, you know, I, it was a great um, enlightening moment to, to realize that we live a pretty privileged sort of lifestyle and, and oh, my kids too. too. So, so I really want to think about what I can do beyond Star Is to help, uh, you know, places like Children's Fortress and, and maybe how, not just with money though, that's one thing, but in mm -hmm. terms of actually getting a bit more involved and being an active participant in trying to help you know, make it a better world. So, you know, I think that's probably where I'm thinking about what, what can I do in a post-COVID world to have a bigger impact on the world. I bet you're looking forward to being able to get on a plane and go see your other offices and check on your home in, in, in Colorado, right? You haven't been on a plane in a long time, I guess. 12 months not on a plane is just so unusual. In fact, I just took a flight for the first time a week or two ago just to go up to Sydney just to test it out. We had to, get, you know, see what it's like to go through an airport again. But right. no, I really miss my team. I mean, look, I'm grateful for Zoom and Slack and these tools. Um, but, you know, I've got team members over there. We've been great friends and worked together for more than 15 years. And, you know, we're used to seeing each other every other month. And to not see each other for, you know, 12 months face-to-face, -face, not be able to have dinner and, and really sit down and, and talk to each other in that level right. of depth. Um, you know, it's, it's really, really getting um, painful. It's, you know, it's like, I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm as keen as possible. Friend. To, to get back to it so really hoping the world you know for the world in general the world just to get to a better place as soon as possible and i i can see i can see things improving now so we're we're excited about that 
Couldn't agree more, my friend. I appreciate I appreciate Zoom and all that too. I'm just like you, like, yeah, these are cool tools and I, I'm glad we can all use them, but I like to get together with people over dinner and happy hour and all the rest of it and coffee. And yeah, I'm just like you. I, I prefer the human to human interaction in the same room if I had to choose. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. You know, you're going to, the first time you go to the airport, you know, what's going to happen. You're going to kind of fumble around a little bit. You know, you were in so much of a routine going through security and you do little certain things here and there. You're going to, you're going to go and you're going to be out of practice. You're not going to, you're not going to maneuver as, as, as swiftly. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had that experience, Steve. We, we were trying to pack our, our suitcase, which normally would have taken us three minutes, you know, right. pre-COVID because we would travel so much. It felt like it took us two to three hours to pack a few things for a short trip. I'm like, we've totally lost the, the plot here. We've got, we've got to get back into practice. Travis, congratulations on everything you and the family and all the employees have built over the last 30 plus years. Really awesome story. Uh, thank you so much for being on the Rider Flex podcast, my friend. No, and uh, congratulations on, on what you're doing as well. I think you're doing an awesome uh, job with this podcast and uh, really thank excited you. to be on it. So thanks for, for your time today. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button. The RiderFlex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviewing. You can visit RiderFlex.com to learn more about us and get information and pricing on the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.